And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Before we look at this passage a little closer, let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing uh, on our time and to teach us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for the truth that we're going to learn in Mark chapter 10. And I pray that you would continue to... Um, Help us and give us understanding and be our teacher. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and be with us and illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand this passage. So Lord, may the meditations, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. As I present this word and as you teach, and God, whatever is from you, I want to last in hearts and in minds and to change lives and anything that's me, that's me, uh, that it would just fade away in people's minds and be forgotten. But Lord, help there to be heart change and life change here this morning. We thank you when we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look at this verse by verse and take a couple sections uh, at a time, kind of towards the end. Um, so follow along with me uh, in, your past, in, your, in your copy of Scripture. Um, so I'll start off, I'll just read again, uh, Mark 17, uh, 10, verse 17 says this, and as he was setting out on his journey, this is talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A couple things that stood out to me right when I read this was that he ran to Jesus. There's this sense of urgency this man has to know about eternal life. And look, it says he knelt before him as well. This is desperation. There's urgency and there's desperation to hear from Jesus. I hope that we can have that same urgency and desperation as we learn from this text this morning. Now this man was probably listening to Jesus. If you take a look in the passage before, verses 13 to 16, it's that famous verse of let the little children come to me, don't deny them access to Jesus. So this man probably was listening to this discourse that Jesus had with his disciples about inheriting the kingdom of God. 
And the beliefs and thoughts of his hearts are, is already starting to show by going and asking Jesus. Because Jesus spoke about destiny. He spoke about what's to come in the next life. How to get there. This man thought he knew what was going to happen. But now he has some questions. And he's coming to Jesus because he heard what Jesus had said about children entering, uh, inheriting the kingdom of heaven. It's in verse 15 of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus says, Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So this guy's ideas of how to enter the kingdom of heaven, how to, how to have eternal life, are now in question. So he comes with that urgency and desperation to Jesus. Verse 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This man has a belief somewhere that somehow goodness will help him have eternal life. If Jesus has the answers of how to get to the kingdom of heaven, how to to inherit the kingdom of God, how to have eternal life, then surely Jesus is good. So good is already entering the realm of, of this man's belief in this man's heart. But where does that come from? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Jesus also makes a connection here that he is indeed God. No one is good except God. Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. He's saying... I am good, I am God, but he's also helping this man understand that he is God because that gives Jesus permission and authority to ask him and challenge this man what he's about to challenge and ask him to do. Jesus calls out this man because he knows that at least no person is good on the inside. Scripture talks about this, Psalm 14, Romans 3, says no one is good, no one seeks after God. Jesus knows our hearts and can discern what's going on inside of us. If you look at John 2.24, it's the story of Jesus not wanting to entrust himself to people so quickly because he knows what's going on inside of us at all times. And he knows it doesn't look super great. The good things we do in life, it does not mean much for entrance into heaven. Verse 19 says, You know the commandments. Jesus starts to challenge him. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now Jesus has already sort of reinterpreted some of these commandments for his followers and those who are listening. If you flip back, if you were to flip back to Matthew chapter 5, he starts to say, if you have hated your brother in your heart, you've already murdered him. Right? He says, if you've looked at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery with that person. He gets to the heart issues that are behind these commandments. It's not just about not doing these things or doing them, but it's about what's happening inside our minds, where our hearts take us. Now, he refers to a few commandments here, and obviously it's from Exodus 20. But there's one in here that kind of seems out of place. And if you look at verse 19, does anyone know which one that is? If you remember your Ten Commandments, you can shout it out if you see it. What is it? Defraud, right. So if you flip, if you went back and read 
you wouldn't really see do not defraud there. Um, now, it could be an illusion or a, or a reference uh, that Jesus makes to Deuteronomy twenty four fourteen, where, where uh, the commandment is to not oppress anybody, um, to not have this oppressive attitude. And Jesus could be mixing in a little bit of that and a little bit of, you know, do not covet into that. There's sort of a defrauding kind of uh, thing in there as well. Um, but it's interesting to note that in, uh, there's two other versions of the story in uh, Matthew 19, kind of retells the same story that's going on in Mark 10 here, and Luke 18. And defraud is not, Jesus doesn't use that word defraud in those stories, but Mark, in his account, adds it in here. Now there are probably some reasons for this, but unfortunately I couldn't find any one good reason for why defraud is in this story and not in Matthew and Luke's account. One possibility that may be uh, the case is that Jesus knows this man's heart so well that he brought these ideas of coveting and these ideas from Deuteronomy 24 about not oppressing anyone and sort of intertwine them to speak directly to this man's heart. Because maybe this man hasn't been altogether straightforward in his business dealings or in the way that he treats others. Maybe it's not quite stealing, and maybe it's not quite bearing false witness, but maybe something isn't quite right, and maybe Jesus is kind of hinting at this man and going for his heart a little bit more when he adds, do not defraud in there. Verse 20, it says, And he said to him, so this is the man responding back to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Notice how he drops the good there, like, I don't want to go back to that conversation, we already had it, so I'm just dropping good teacher and going right for teacher. I know you're a teacher, not sure about the good thing, you sort of confused me there, but I'll just go with teacher, you're a rabbi, I'm good with that, we'll drop the good and keep moving forward. I have kept all the all these I have kept from my youth. And this word kept in the original language, it's not just that he did these commandments like because he knew that that was the, thing, the right thing to do, that it was just sort of this mechanical, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do this. It wasn't that at all. But really this word kept means that his whole heart went into keeping these commandments. But his wrong intention is thinking that his own obedience, his own observations of these laws will give him eternal life. And that's what's starting to shake around in his head and trying to think, where does this eternal life come from? So he goes to Jesus. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus already knows this man's heart motivations. And now it's drawn out for all of us to see. The idol that his heart had created were his possessions. The focus of his life was about his stuff. Maybe your life isn't all about your possessions, but oftentimes our hearts are gripped by some desire that may be good, may be bad, but it ends up not being God. John Calvin writes this about people. He says, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Our hearts are constantly making new idols for us to worship and put in God's place. Our hearts can also do a lot of tricky things to us uh, to keep idols in our life. One of those things our hearts are best at is what it's done to this man. 
This man, before he heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, thought that he would be going to heaven. He had done all the things in his life, but his heart tricked him into thinking there wasn't anything more to explore. There wasn't anything more to do. He checked all the boxes. His heart completely hid the fact of the truth that was already plain to him. Because this man probably knew Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, with all your might. Jeremiah 17, 9 is a well-quoted verse for good reason. That's what scripture means when it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our heart. We have bought into the lie, into the idol worship so much that we're blind to it. But Jesus gives us a glimpse of what it's going to take to, to gain eternal life. To turn away from what our hearts may desire here on earth and turn them toward Jesus. To follow Jesus. So whether this man acquired his possessions from an honest or dishonest way, his stuff, his things, his possessions is what rules his heart. So Jesus gives a way to eternal life, which is turning from something, those possessions, to Jesus. And that's actually what repentance is. And we're going to practice it together. So if you can stand, go ahead and stand up. All right. We're going to practice repentance right now. All right. And what I want you to do is turn so that you're facing that way. All right. Now, repentance is turning from something to something. Okay. And I put the cross kind of on the stage next to me to my left, your right. All right, so you're on my word when I say repent. All right, you're going to turn from whatever you're looking at, whatever you're towards, and you're going to turn to the cross. And I'll do it with you, okay? So let's repent. Did it feel good? You can go ahead and have a seat. So that's what repentance is. It's turning from something to something else. When it comes to the sinful desires of our hearts, this from something to Jesus' repentance is more of a process than a one-time event. We just did a one-time event right here. If you were like, all right, kind of picturing your sin right there in front of you, you're like, I'm going to turn from that to, that happened nearly instantaneously, right? As a group of believers in our, in our humanity, we like to have this turning away from sin nice and neat. So when someone commits a sin or when when someone, we ask someone to repent or someone says they're going to repent, typically we're thinking they're going to turn away just like we did and, and turn right to Jesus in a one-time event and snap, it's going to happen. But this is rarely the case when it comes to repentance. This is what repentance is about. This is what sanctification is about. It's this process of moment by moment figuring out what our heart is focused on at that moment and saying, no, I need to turn from this to Jesus. And you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like, even if, you, even if you start here and you start to turn, right, you kind of get the peripherals. You get like, here's the thing I was following. Here's the thing my heart loves. Here's the thing that my heart was going after. And I see Jesus right here. And maybe that's part of the process of repentance too. It's this idea of like, I really want to follow Jesus, but I see that thing that's tempting me. That addiction that's gripped me, 
that thing in my life that I want to follow, that my heart created that idol, but I see the cross too. And I, and I want to follow Jesus. Your just heart is torn between those two things. Repentance is rarely boom, boom. Sometimes it's a slow process, this slow turning of, of realizing truth, letting the Spirit uh, indwell your heart and mind and start to change, letting your mind no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed so that we're facing the cross. So don't think of repentance as just a one-time idea. Hopefully we can kind of snap that mentality away from us and start to think, this is a process. If someone's been so, uh, created this idol that's been so uh, central in their life, it's not going to take a one-time event for them to turn from that thing to Jesus. But that's what repentance is. That's what our goal is. That's what we want to have happen. Let's keep going. Verses 23, 24, and 25. It says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In my mind, this is the part of the story, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not, uh, we're middle-class America, which is probably most of us, right? Just sort of tune out. Because we read these words, and we know what rich people actually have. Million-dollar homes, numerous cars, traveling to expensive and exotic places on the planet. And of course we draw the conclusion, <laughs> I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. That's not me that they're talking about right here. But despite the words of this passage, think about them, possessions, wealth, rich, this portion of God's word, and I would even make an argument that the majority, if not all of God's word, isn't so much about what we have on the outside, but it's about what's going on inside of us. This passage isn't any different. It's about what's going on inside of us. And the poor and the rich standards that seem to have the same effect on us don't have, on the, it doesn't have that on the disciples. Because look, it says in verse 20, starting in verse 26, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Who then can, who can be saved? So obviously they probably put themselves in the more wealth category. They, they might have had some homes or they might, it says that they left jobs. So they had income, they had things going on. Um, and we have that too. Most of us, I would say, have homes, have jobs, have some sort of wealth. We are right in this passage. How difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. If you're not poor, you have wealth. If you have something that is a possession of yours that you have that says, this is my stuff, you probably are in this category of wealth. The disciples seem to be, even though we sort of think of them as Man, they were poor. They kind of just traveled around with Jesus. They didn't really have homes. But they put themselves in that category. Who can be saved then? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands 
for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and lands, children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I just want to talk for a moment about repentance again. It doesn't really seem like we have this attitude that there's a lot of great rewards when it comes to our repentance. I think there seems to be this stigma that's like we're just denying ourselves these pleasures that just seem so natural to us. We desire this thing, so we just go after it. And, and, and the Lord says, oh, you have to deny ourselves those things, or we have to have this process of turning from whatever that is to Jesus, and it's, and it's just we lose. There's no real gain. We lose that awesome thing that we were going to do. We lose that selfishness of just caring about us all the time. Everything is just lost when it comes to repentance. Woe is us as, as Christians. We just have lost all this fun, and now I have to turn to Jesus. We spend a lot of energy working out this repentance process. And what's the gain? Jesus even spells it out in these verses that we're going to have to give up things in our life. Some of them really good. Some of those things, though, if they become idols that our hearts worship, then our money follows that. And our time follows that. And our thoughts follow that. That's why Jesus said, sell off those things and focus and follow me. But look at these rewards we receive that it talks about. The first one is that we can even get invited to follow Jesus. How awesome is that? If you're not a believer, Scripture talks about how we're just on this path of destruction, this path of death. But when we turn and follow Jesus, we can do that. We're on a path to life. Jesus says that a hundredfold of what we leave in this time, or what we leave, we get in this time and in the age to come. That's pretty great. Who says there's no rewards to repentance, the turning from those things to Jesus? We receive eternal life. That's a great thing. That's an amazing reward for for starting that repentance process. And we get to be first even though we should be last. So we might be denying ourselves some of these worldly pleasures now, but let's not kid ourselves. Let's not pretend like there's no rewards. There's a lot of really great rewards for the work that we do in our lives to become more and more like Jesus and allowing the Spirit to work in us for that turning from something to Jesus. As I close, I want to go through a few things that stand out to me about Jesus' words and attitude towards us despite our hearts. Jesus looked at the man when, he, when the man said, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at his disciples when they kind of asked the same thing, who can be saved? He sees what we are. He knows his creation. He knows our hearts. And he still sees us. He loves us. He still sees us and says it will God, it's God who will do the impossible. Even when our backs are turned and our heart is stuck in the sin of seeking pleasure or wealth or status, or when our hearts are gripped by fear or pride, or we're just so consumed with ourselves, our appearance, or our status, Jesus sees us. He loves us. He does the impossible for us. Now, I don't know what your heart and life is focused on, 
Maybe overall your life is focused on God. But like I said, it's that moment by moment evaluation. Where is my heart? Where's my heart and my eyes at? Do I need to go from something to Jesus in that moment by moment time of life? If maybe that's where you're at and you're just like, I have, I have an idol or I have something that's still going on. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I believe. But it's hard for me to leave that thing, that, that idol that my heart created to turn from that to Jesus. I want to pray for, for you for that this morning. Are you in that place in life where you have never even considered following Jesus or believing in him? Never thought never even occurred to you that I should turn from living my own way to living for Jesus. I want to tell you, he wants you. He sees you. He calls you to follow him. He did the impossible for you. He died on a cross. When he was dead, he rose again to new life for you to join him. So he invites you by saying, leave all those things, living for yourself, whatever you were trying to gain in this life, leave those things behind and follow me. Believe that I died for your sin and rose again to new life and follow me. to blow When I'm empty and alone I turn to you When there's hardest in my heart I can't see the truth Yeah.